Everyone loves an underdog story. Surely every neutral watching tonight's game would have been cheering on those minnows from Manchester. Football. Bloody hell. My name is Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com in a week that's seen Chelsea play Leeds off the park but still lose 3-0 somehow. Manchester United clawed their way off the bottom of the table and Newcastle gave us a little taste of what the future may hold on the pitch for the Toon Army. Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show. Neil, what side of the fence do we start with here? The elation and relief from Manchester United fans or the slight little bit of worry if you're a Liverpool fan? Yeah, I'm watching the game thinking to myself, I feel like going on an anti Anthony Joshua type rant after that game. Don't mind uh, I'm 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 hurting I'm hurting and confused and I, I guess it's just the Premier League this weekend, even watching Chelsea last week, watching them this week, watching Liverpool the last three weeks, something not quite there, something not quite right. And then Manchester United where I mean, you must be absolutely delighted with that performance. And Gary Neville's after saying live and air, it's incredible. He couldn't see. He didn't know where it was going to come from. But there you are. It's after coming. And uh, yeah, I think it surprised maybe everybody. Well, I think it did surprise everyone because people were talking about back in 4-0 and 5-0 and, and this could be a trouncing. And to tell you the truth, my mindset on it was, it always is, you can win any game as long as the effort is put in, but you you couldn't turn around and say for sure that Manchester United were going to put the effort in after the first two games that you've seen them play. Yeah, and, and in fairness to them, look, they came out of the traps, you know, like a, like a house on fire. It was just the first 20 minutes you've seen a side of Man United that you just haven't seen this season. And like we commented on the last week, they did the least amount of sprints, least amount of runs, least amount of distance covered. And then nine days later, so... They were like a kind of a caged animal that's been just kept behind doors. The manager is trying to pull, you know, his print on the team. And listen, whatever he's done in the last nine days, he had them absolutely wound up in a manner that I haven't seen uh, a United team in quite some time. And, you know, within the first kind of 60, 120 seconds, you had Fernandez who was flying in and tackled. You had Dalo who caught Luis Diaz with it, with one that maybe was caught later in the game he'd been booked for but it just set the tone in the game, you know, and everyone was flying into tackles. Marcus Rashford actually looked like he was enjoying himself in a football pitch for the first time in months, if not years, and it all just accumulated into a really solid team performance and it's exactly what they needed for a game like this. There was obviously some sort of word said, something to the team, something to the group, probably have a little bit of pride in yourself, but there was changes made, Maguire out, Ronaldo out, Shaw out could this be the way it is for those players there's talk about Maguire going to Chelsea there's talk about Ronaldo going to Lisbon and Luke Shaw well it's probably time for him to go anyhow because I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure that he had the confidence in Man United supporters anyhow what way do you see that? Massive calls so you know the full backs were the big ones for me so Malassia I thought was really good he had a little cameo there a week or two ago where he, he looked a bit aggressive he looked like he had a bit of kind of almost like a little bit of swagger about him, even though United were, were comfortably losing games. But he was, there was something about him you could kind of see. At least he had a bit of bottle about him. Dallow, I wouldn't have, listen, probably the last person when I looked at the team sheet that I would have gone, 
he would be a guy you worry about. But he was up against Louis Diaz. Now, it was a real good battle. I mean, they both gave as good as they got. But that first challenge where he went in and he just went, have some of that, that was a big one for him. And the manager must have been absolutely chuffed to see a reaction of a guy like that. The Varane one, you know, you could say makes absolute sense because what's the point of having Varane? He's been at the club over a year now and you're thinking, when is his moment? Maybe that was his moment. But even if you look further up the pitch, Ryan, you're, you know, Alanga, Sancho both worked tirelessly, but Christian Eriksen and McTominay as a duo, we haven't seen, you know, Man United playing anything other than two holding midfielders for the last uh, calendar year, if not longer, under Solskjaer, etc. And now all of a sudden, you were able to mix and put in, you know, a more... Uh, a better footballer, I would say, in there than the likes of Fred McTominay as a combo. And, you know, you wouldn't have noticed the difference. It but was, you could have put uh, anyone, Neil, you could have put anyone in there for yeah. them first two games. You could have put that same team out for the first two games and you still wouldn't have got the results because the effort wasn't there. It does come down to pure effort and uh, work rate. It does. And, and it's professionalism and it's hurt pride. And it's, you know, as I said, it was nine days of being absolutely slapped around. And then, you know, you're 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 poking at players' pride, and I think Jurgen Klopp, he sensed something about that. If, if you've seen the uh, the talk sport thing about Gabby at Bon Lahore, you know Klopp knew. I won't say knew this was coming, but I'd say he feared. You know that Man United were almost being prodded into a response, a response that had to come. I mean, if that team had gone out tonight and lost four 0 in the same manner that they lost the first two games, that was literally ten hags swan song gone. There's no way you could recover after being you know, browbeaten and, and, and picked on in the media to go out then with a whimper. It would have been just game over. So something had to give and, my God, something gave. And that group of players out there, I mean, I, I'm looking at the 11 here in front of me on the screen and you just wouldn't have seen that coming, that level of aggression, the level of team spirit, everyone kind of pulling in the right direction. And all of a sudden, players that haven't been fancy, that haven't been firing, and I'm talking Sancho, I'm talking Rashford, I'm talking Fernandez. All of a sudden, they managed to put in a performance that they could be proud of. Absolutely. And it means absolutely nothing if they go out and perform the way they did in the first two games against Southampton and Leicester in the next two games. So it's going to be really interesting. This is a great result for Manchester United, but it is only three points and they have to carry on from that again. They could easily slip back into where they were if they don't perform on the same level again. So as everyone always says, they've set the marker. What about Liverpool, Neil? It's very hard to understand what has gone wrong with them why have they it's not as if their team has been decimated okay Thiago's not there again Mane's not there but their first 11 is quite good their bench may not be as strong but their first 11 is quite good and they're not starting the way you would think a Liverpool team would start yeah very true I mean even the Anfield game you know the first maybe 15-20 minutes against Palace they were pretty good at home and they came out of the blocks and you know, you, you were expecting that kind of, once they get the early goal, you're expecting to build on that. But when the early goal didn't come, you know, they, they drifted into a kind of a, a false sense of security and they're setting themselves to get set up. Sorry, they're setting themselves up to get hit with this counter-attack. And I mean, let's be honest, it was a shambles at time tonight, the amount of times uh, Man United get in behind them on that high line with a cleverly timed run. Now, I know the Rashford one was like a millimetre on side, but... You know, that was the warning signs were there. They were nearly caught five or six times against Palace. They were nearly caught two or three times. They were only caught once by Saha. So this is something that 
they need to rectify and they need to rectify fast. Liverpool playing the high line has been part of the success by pressing to the halfway line, by pressing my air midfield onto other midfields. And now all of a sudden it's become a massive, massive Achilles heel because teams are just delaying that run by a millisecond and it's enough to really, really inflict them. It's something we didn't see last year, especially in the in the run into the finishing stage of the season. But they seem hung over now. I don't know. And it feels to me maybe, remember the, the year when everyone was injured and Van Dijk was injured. It feels a little mm. like that. Yeah. When I look and I see Milner in there, Henderson in there, and no Fabinho. So Fabinho not starting tonight. Was he fit? Obviously not match fit to start. But yeah, he did come on. So that was a an alarm. Ever since when Alden left, you have to have that pressing through the middle or you're allowing that ball through the middle uh, or over the top. So there's something not quite right about the balance and that's why they keep getting caught by this counter-attack. But Liverpool's teams, Neil, have always worked hard, no matter who it was. Harvey Elliott's in there, Jordan Henderson, James Milner. James Milner, they keep saying, is the fittest player in the Liverpool squad. There is energy there but it just doesn't seem to be transferring itself into the game. Is it that they're not working as a unit as well as they were? Because it kind of seems like that to me, that it's a little bit sporadic. Yeah, they, like they haven't got going right. You know, like you look at Diaz. Diaz to me looks like the most likely, I would say, of the front three. That seems to be kind of, he's getting in behind a man. He's willing to take on a man. Something has changed in Liverpool. If you look at, Roberto Firmino tonight would be a very good example. He drops in and makes a four in the middle rather than more forward running or running in behind. He doesn't really give a back four or back three, depending on the case, much to worry about because he does all his football in in front of them. So then you're relying on your Salah, you're relying on Diaz to make a run in behind. And it's just, I don't know, I think Liverpool have moved away from that style of football where it was effective enough. They found a lot of trouble breaking teams down with Firmino, playing in that role at times when they sat very, very deep. Um, And something has happened now. You know, I obviously went to bring in Nunez this year and he was going to be a guy that would be a third runner or at least two from three runners in behind and making runs. And he's a big loss, Neil, wasn't he? Massive loss, right? And I mean, Firmino hasn't been the same player in probably three seasons. So that's to me, is one of your pivotal points. Your second one, as you were saying about the work ethic, without having uh, um, Fabino in the middle, that's the second piece of the puzzle. And then you're relying on Henderson, you're relying on Milner to get into situations where they're going to open teams up. And it just doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel right. And then they're being withdrawn after. Like Henderson withdrawn, what was that, 60 minutes you know, where would you see that in previous seasons? So it could be that they need to evolve some of the younger players, Harvey Elliott, Curtis Jones, um, and try to get something else in there. He's going to have to find a solution if he doesn't sign. Fabio Carvalho, same thing. Do you give him games to see can he come good? But it's like there's a change in the guard going on in there. And at the moment, he's looking at Milner Henderson and he can't really, they're, they're two of the same type of player and they don't really fit in that midfield for me. At least the two of them at the same time. Well, you have to, I, you have so much respect for James Milner in what he's done in his career and at this age, how he's looking after himself. But my respect grew a lot more for him when I seen him having a go with Virgil van Dijk this evening and he really let him know how he felt about what way he defended that first goal, Neil. It, oh, it was short abysmal wasn't it it was yeah and right you know what it is look I, I love Virgil van Dijk and I watch him and when he got the injury because I had that similar injury myself years and years ago and I watch how he comes back and how he attacks players and 
you know, he used to maraud and maul a player when he ran back in him. Now, he would one really good challenge against Marcus Rashford in the first half where Rashford broke through and Van Dijk turned on the afterburners and just clattered him. And I was like, wow, there you go. But more often than not, he does this, and they've even begun to copy it in bloody FIFA, would you believe, where Van Dijk does a kind of a, a, a stance to try block a player, hands behind the back and kind of leans as if I'm going to block the goal from a shot or I'm going to block you rather than go in and dispossess you of the ball. And it's that kind of... I don't know, it's not a laziness, it's just a trait that he's developed that he needs to get back to that kind of marauding, mauling figure rather than a little bit more static and a little bit more standoffish. And that's all right, Neil, to do that. That's all right to do that when you're like three or four yards away from him. But he was about 10 yards away from him and there's a big goal there gaping, you know. So did he just read the the whole situation wrong? I, I think he's been doing this a while now, Ryan. And as I said, I always watch him very, very closely. He doesn't seem to want to engage in, in going in on a play. You know this whole myth, you know, he's never been ran past, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's still, you still need to get tight to a guy. You still need to give him no respect. You still need to get, you know, if you look at United tonight, the way they mark Mo Salah and Luis Diaz, that's how tight you get to a guy. You're practically living in his skin. And Van Dijk has gone into this mode, and it's happened over a number of months, even last season, where he's just not aggressive enough and tight enough. And it's like he feels, I can relax here. He won't take me on. I'm Virgil van Dijk. But he gives him an extra yard or two. Or in this case, he gave him eight or nine yards. And it's like a slow, responsive to some, to, to a, a situation that he just doesn't get right. And I guarantee you, Milner seen that tonight and went, listen, don't care who you are, you've got to get up a gear. We're reliant on you to be that guy. And it's just not quite as clean as it was and maybe I don't know I watch it maybe right, you're the same where you're almost surprised when you see it but now I've watched it quite a few times over the number of weeks and I'm going this just seems to be his normal so hopefully it's something they'll you know analyse and video footage thereafter the match and someone can get into him. Like, it's going to be a clop, it's going to be a coach that gets into him on this, but it is something that's been there for sure. Yeah, I think if Harry Maguire did that tonight, Neil, he would have been absolutely ripped one. It's certainly something that he... I do think there's a little bit of laziness in it. I don't think he wants to throw his body in there, and he's kind of just hoping that he gets that block off, and he, I don't think he's fully committed as a defender, as a, as a get-your-body-in-the-way defender. Um, yeah, I, I, he, there's definitely words needed to, to to Virgil van Dijk. He's a top quality defender, but he's definitely gone off the boil. Um, just to finish off on on this, I suppose, and United have brought in Casemiro, but they also had a big protest outside the stadium. Neil, what's your thoughts on the whole Glazier thing? Yeah, I, I'm a little bit divided on this, Roy. I think there's a narrative sent out there and like we're always influenced by social media and if I listen to Gary Neville, he's kind of like an unofficial ambassador for Man United and I'm not saying he doesn't mean well and I'm not saying he doesn't have a point but if I look back at what, you know, he he went through that, uh, you know, the red, uh, the red, green, amber checklist of players uh, last week mm. as if to say these were a success, these were not and there was a hell of a lot you know, that weren't in the green. But, like, that's investment. That is top, top money. Like, Casemiro's going there in 350 grand. You know, Jaden Sancho, I know they got their man eventually. He came in at 80 million. He's on top dollar. You know, Fernandez was brought in on top dollar. So, they're, uh, Varane, you know, anyone that they brought in have been on good money. So, you know, it's not for lack of investment. 
if anything, I think the narrative should be the recruitment as in who's in charge of the recruitment. I can't, I can't argue when you bring in 20 players and only three or four of them are a success. That to me is where the, the problem lies. And going directly after the Glaziers, they're running it as a business where they remove money rather than insert money. Is that but not, Neil, though? That, Neil, is that not the Glazier's job, though, to make sure that the people underneath them are doing a good job? It's not like it's over one season. It is. Uh, <laughs> it's over about 10. Yeah, it is. And But, I mean, Roy, let's be honest. When, when Alex Ferguson was there and everything was successful and you're winning, like winning overshadows everything else that goes on in the club. You know, when you're winning and you're top of the league, no one really cares that the left back you brought in was five million or, you know, he came from a different league. The microscope is on Man United now because they're not winning anymore. And the narrative has changed now blaming the owners. But look, I think it's a two way system. They're meant to have a system in place where they have a chief executive, head of recruitment, you know, a, a manager, and then therefore all of the kind of systems linked together. And I, again, I can't argue that that isn't happening. But as far as going after the Glazers for, treating it like a money-making organisation. They always did. It's only a problem now that the team is not successful on the field. But that's only a problem for the fans. They're still a brilliant global brand. They're still making money. They're still a massive, massive club. Like, whatever you say about Casemiro, he wasn't going to go to anyone else but the likes of a Man United. That's, it's still a big pull. So, there's a different, it's just a different narrative for me that it's not just the Glaziers. They still invest and they still play top dollar. My biggest argument with them would be they haven't put in a hierarchy that complements the team, the scouts, the system they want to play. Ten Hag in this place needs guys around them that will bring in the right players, his type of players, so they, that they can move forward. Yeah, I don't, I just feel, Neil, and probably a lot of Manchester United fans will feel the same, I don't feel that they have managed it very well. You say they invest. They're not investing their own money. They're investing money that the club are making and creating. And that money is going back into players. And I can't disagree with you on that one. They have bought players. But I do think that the the scouting, the recruitment has been very, very poor. I'm not sure who's doing for them. But they now, you know, over the last 10 years, they don't seem to be asking questions about it like Sancho they were chasing Sancho for, for ages but did they really look at Sancho did they look at how he, how he's really doing I, I've seen Sancho I still don't rate Sancho he scored tonight very calm composed he needs to work hard like he did tonight if he works hard like he did tonight then the rest of his football will make him look like he's a, a really really good player but he wasn't working hard and I've seen that at Dortmund as well and I mean don't get me wrong this Bundesliga isn't a strong league. You look at a Ger- uh, Bayern Munich won seven nil over the weekend. That's what you're you're looking at. That's a frequent thing over there. So the recruitment hasn't been very good. So if your recruitment hasn't been good over a ten year period, it's up to the people who are over that to make sure that it's corrected. And that hasn't happened. And again, Casemiro, as you said, is it a good one? Is it not a good one? Is it a panic one? It may very well help out the De Jong deal though in in the long term. Yeah, well, I, I, if I was like, well, looking from a Man United perspective, Roy, Casemiro could be one piece in a puzzle that, as you're saying, leads to better things. Mm. You just hope it's more a productive one that, like that, he gets the young then and then pieces begin to fit. 
the worry is that he becomes and I dare well after tonight I think Varane was very good but Varane hasn't really hit the ground running since he came into the league he hasn't been dominant and we haven't been waxing lyrical about him week in week out saying well look they've got one good centre half in Varane they just need to find a partner so you hope he's going to be more of the good than the bad and again time will tell whether or not they have the appetite and whether they have the desire to succeed in England because it's it's still a big big step up when you're playing you know, teams down the bottom that are traditionally a lot more difficult than they are in Spain and that they are in Germany. So, yeah, time will definitely tell on that one. Absolutely. Okay, we'll, we'll leave that one there. Of course, at the weekend, Neil, Leeds United, well, if you're Thomas Tuchel, you don't think that they got destroyed, but they really did, didn't they? They did. They were out fought. They were out, like, man on man, you know, is it amazing, Roy, that the difference a week makes where Chelsea go out and absolutely, in my opinion, annihilated Spurs, even though they drew. Mm. But the way they played, the way they pressed Spurs on the front foot, it was so impressive. And we were saying last week, you had Sterling, you had Mount Jorginho. They just absolutely bullied Spurs. And then fast forward seven days later, and Leeds did it just an absolute number on Chelsea, chased them down in fours and fives, pressed them high up the field, and all of a sudden, guys, we were talking about last week, your losses, Cheek, your East James and your right side that were unbelievable, were under pressure, giving the ball away, getting pressed. Koulibaly gets sent off for getting just roasted time and time again. And you got to tip your hat uh, to Leeds because, you know, they've lost a lot of their big players, but they didn't lose their enthusiasm. The, the crowd roared them on, their, their ability to get in the opponent's faces, regardless of who they were. Um, and it was a kind of a message to the other big players in the Premier League. If you go to Ellen Road and, and you're not up for a game, you're going to be in for a tough, tough 90 minutes. Absolutely. And you look at the team, they have Sterling and Havertz up front, Mount, Cucurella, uh, Loftus-Cheek out wide, Conor Gallagher, Jorginho, Koulibaly, Silver, James and Mendy. It's not as strong as you would think. Like Conor Gallagher is coming in there, like... I'm I'm not sure what the story is with Kante if he 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 was injured more than, more than likely that that's the case but that's a little bit of a weak spot for me because I don't think Conor Gallagher's an upgrade again you have Loftus Cheek out on the right hand side I don't I don't think Loftus Cheek is is a wing back or a winger um so I I do think there's weak points in that team you will always get work rate from from Leeds and I'm not so sure about the work rate of this Chelsea side. Yeah, and I think if you look back, Ryan, and this is the first time I'm looking at the Chelsea sheet now that I can remember Chelsea not playing with a sitting two, i.e. Kante, Jorginho, um, or Kovacic. So that one, to me, is a little odd. So he's thrown Gallagher in there, and he's, he's obviously given the kid an opportunity, which is grand. But like Chelsea's, I, I remember saying it last year a couple of times in the show that I don't understand how no one can really get into Thiago Silva. He's playing in centre-half. He's 37-odd years old, and no one ever seems to expose him. And the reason behind that is because he was guarded by these two pit bulls in front of him. But yesterday, we, or today, before we all of a sudden seen, Leeds were just breaking the lines, and they were getting in their face. Like, Thiago was, he was manhandled a few times, and then you're thinking, well, he's Koulibaly in there. He isn't going to be bullied. And he was. He, was, he looked so uncomfortable with the way Leeds were going at him. So I, I, I think you're right. I think Tuchel doesn't really have his best 11 out there yet he's still experimenting how to get the best up front but what he ended up doing was he, he lost it across the middle and that's where they were overran um, and uh, like you're saying Kante was a massive massive miss for them out there 
but you're you're hitting the nail in the head about Ruben Loftus Cheek. I don't think he's a natural right wing back or right wing or wherever they play him out there in the back three. Um, so maybe they've a bit of improvement definitely on the right hand side. Yeah, and is Tuchel getting a little bit agitated because maybe the players that he wants in these positions he hasn't got again trying to get Fofana I think and, and that just isn't happening at the moment Okay, yeah, Newcastle kind of showed us what they could be all about and there hasn't been really too much of a change in this Newcastle team Neil from the, the second half of last year and they've carried on really really well haven't they? Yeah I mean listen what do we say? There hasn't been too much of a change. Just the attitude, the feel-good factor, which are things that they're not personnel. Like, there's something about Newcastle now. I think everyone can feel it. They're a team that's going somewhere. They have backing. The crowd are electric when you go up there. You know, everything, everyone is beginning to pull in the right direction because they almost feel this inevitability of another Manchester City on the horizon, you know. But uh, I thought the interesting for me in this game was the, the whole Almiron thing and Jack Grealish slagging him off last year. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> Jack Grealish doesn't even make the bench and uh, Almiron scores. So that was a beautiful little story for me. But um, yeah, same thing, Roy. You know, they went to goal down. You might have looked for something and go, well, there's City. They're going to do a number on them. But, you know, you have guys like Joe Linton who he's like a, a possessed individual you wouldn't think that he had it in him was it, is it he just that he was pl- really well he was played out, out of position there I, I, I don't know right when you looked at him that long and listen we always make these assumptions about players because you're only watching them you know your match of the day or you might yeah. get a big game against them on the weekend and you make an assumption that, listen, this guy just can't cut it. But we, we were sold on him as a striker. We mm. were sold on him as a centre-forward, a big, strong uh, guy that could hold up the ball and bring players in. But, I mean, Eddie Howe just took that out and ripped it up and went, right, let's go again. And he's just been reinvented as a midfielder that has skill and poise. And he was taking players on left, right and centre, dropping the shoulder. It's it's amazing turnaround. Like it just is an amazing turnaround. And Callum Wilson for me is the key up front. He's found another level uh, at the end of last year and this year now, and he's making them very very dangerous. So they've been clever. You know, Botman is a clever signing. Uh, Gamares is a clever signing. But he's gotten more out of the kind of regulars that were in that side. Eddie Howe has, um, and they really gave City a good rattle yesterday. Now bear in mind. City where we're out Ruben Diaz and Laporte and I always think yeah. they're kind of a different team without them yeah. but uh, it was great to see a team get at Manchester City's back line and put three past them and really ask questions of them uh, going back towards their own goal and I have to say of all the players in the Premier League Alan St. Maximan is my absolute favourite just because he is there's such quality he changes his uh, direction so quickly Kyle Walker had an absolute nightmare against him. Again, tossing and turning last night, he had to be because he was unbelievable. But he does give them that sort of... And, and I thought last year, I said, Man United should be looking at someone like that. That's a real Man United player. Someone who runs a play, entertains. You can see that crowd, that the whole crowd around the stadium are up on their feet every time he gets the ball and there's so, so much excitement. How do you rate him, Neil? Do you rate him as, as much as I do? Obviously, he's a good player, but... Is he top quality? He is. Uh, well, how will I start? Say the greatest thing about him is he's not a luxury player. If you know what I mean, Do you know what I mean. Sometimes you look at a guy like that and you think he's a kind of a luxury. He's not. He walks hard. He drives. He opens teams. He puts fear in them. He puts fear in in, in defenders. To 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 do what he did to Kyle Walker 
not many players. I would say that they saw a while ago there that he never takes on Kyle Walker because Walker has his measure. To do that to Kyle Walker, and he's fast, strong, athletic, you got to tip your hat to him. So I don't know how I rate him as far as, and this is no disrespect, because of the Newcastle team he's playing in, when he does big moments like that against the big teams, you kind of then really take notice. But you'd like to see him in a team like City, like Chelsea, like Liverpool, like Man United, that would he'd be playing around stars to see then can he still shine as bright. So I guess I'm saying is, is he a kind of a small pawn? Now, I know Newcastle on the up and up, but are they a top six side yet? We don't really know. So I think he would they be... They are at the moment, Neil. They're, they're actually slap banks. Well, <laughs> <laughs> slap bang. Well, we'll see in another 20 or so, it's 35 games. I, I, don't, I, I can't judge him because I feel... I judge him against the big teams and you go, wow, he looks great. But you maybe don't see him and judge him like the way you judge Sancho and the way you judge uh, Son and, and Salah and these guys because there's a massive expectation against the best team to have to do a week in, week out. So that to me is still a question mark I'd say maximum but he never hides every time you see him as you were saying you can hear the crowd you'd know when he was on the ball because he's driving at players and he's making things happen. Interestingly before they were taken over you might have picked him up because Mike Astley would have let him go for about 25 yeah, minutes yeah. and who knows what would have happened that's changed now he's going nowhere like he's their crown jewel at the moment between him and, and Wilson for me so there's, I think there's more to come from him and with Newcastle the more uh, quality players they bring in maybe then he goes to that level where you're looking at him in 30 games time he's added goals he's added assists and all of a sudden you're thinking he is up there you know with your Louis Diaz's with your Sons with your Salas so I still think there's a gap between him and them but I don't mean that as a disrespectful way it's probably because he's not playing in one of them teams Yeah, but I, I can, think he can definitely show that he can get up there yeah I can understand uh, from that point of view I just think that he's 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 such good quality. He does score goals, but he doesn't waste the ball that much. Once he skips by one or two players, he does make a pass. And it's not never a backwards pass like Jack Grealish. It's always a forward pass. And there's always, you know, he's always sort of taking that counter attack and making a, something purposeful about it. And that's why I like him. We, we move on to uh, Arsenal and Tottenham Hotspur, Neil, because... The two of them have made a fantastic start. Arsenal top with nine points. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, I suppose you can call it joint second. They haven't fought for goal difference. But could this be the year that something different could happen? Because we've had City drop points over the weekend. We've had Liverpool drop points. Obviously Manchester United dropping points. Chelsea dropping points. But they're doing it in a manner that's a little bit shaky. And when you look at Arsenal and Spurs, there's something a little bit more solid about them. Yeah, I mean, they've come off the back of, uh, well, Arsenal in particular had a, a fantastic pre-season and they just seem a little bit more primed, a little bit more ready. You know, they've added, they've recruited really, really smartly. So the feel-good factor again around Arsenal is fantastic at the moment. It's just a question of whether they can maintain it. And I think this for me is the, is the kind of the key to it. If you look at what City have done in the last five years, don't even mind Liverpool, but you look at what City have done in the last five years, their consistency to hit 90 plus points is just phenomenal. So you have two questions here for me. The first one is, can City hit another 90 plus points? And history has suggested they will. And then the second question is, can an Arsenal or a Spurs overhaul and compete with them at 90 points 
which Liverpool, let's be honest, have failed to do on four out of five seasons, even though they've nearly matched them by plus or minus a point or two. So for this year, for me anyway, both Arsenal and Spurs, they need to solidify top four. Well, Spurs need to solidify, Arsenal need to get into it. And then they need to launch an assault and then they need to see where they lie. It's kind of a stepping stone scenario where I think it would be too much to ask based on the recruitment of City and the way City are are in in, in normal seasons that they would overhaul them. The question is, can they keep up with them for three quarters of a season and then look to improve and go one better? And it's still a little bit up in the air. For me, City are still just different class. Like There were 3-1 down, no panicking and I won't say it was inevitability to get a draw on the weekend, but there's just something so clever, so clinical about them that it would be hard to bridge that gap. Now, could they bridge the gap with Liverpool, with Chelsea? Yes, I think that's a, a more realistic one that uh, both of them have recruited well enough, both of them have started well enough now. I won't say the sky is the limit, but if they keep level-headed and they keep working hard, I think they could close that gap. Absolutely. Um yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how, how it works there. When you look at the rest of the league, I'm just going to pick one team out because a bit of a question mark for me. Aston Villa have won one game, have three points, but they don't look anything special to me, Neil. What would you what would you view that team? Yeah, they're in a little bit of a sticky period here now. What I mean, I, I actually watched at least 80 minutes of that game of the weekend and Crystal Palace just manhandled them. They matched them kind of for the strength, for the aggression. And Crystal Palace just had more class. And I mean, I don't know, was it the second or the third goal now to win the cross in for Mateta? It was an absolute... Like if any other team scored that goal as in top four team, you'd be waxing lyrical about it. It was a phenomenal goal. Little interchange with Eze and Saha. Ball into the middle and he buried it. It was just such a great goal. Villa in a bad place at the moment. It's as far as he's brought in new signings. And you know that way where we're saying there about Arsenal where they hit the ground running and everything just looks natural. It doesn't really look natural now for Villa. They've brought in Tyro Mings back into the lineup. Camera seems to be holding his place. But I think he's struggling to get the best out of Bailey. And then he doesn't know whether to stick or twist over Watkins and um, Danny Ings. And I think at the moment, they just look disjointed. So the best example I can give you is when they went 2-1 down, they never at any point in that game looked like they were going to get back into the game. They looked devoid of ideas. You didn't really know what way they were going to play. They're very, very narrow. Uh, and that's because Buendia plays in that, you know, when he's in there with Coutinho, there's two of them in the middle. Ramsey plays more central. And they just don't seem to have any natural wit. So for me, they're struggling a little bit with their identity. And I think someone mentioned it on the weekend that the honeymoon period is over now for Steven Gerrard. And they were saying, there's a little graphic, I don't know if you've seen it, on, on Gerrard and Lampard saying, these guys were chosen because of their careers. But then they had other managers that weren't as fancy but are doing the business, a.k.a. Brighton, mm. you know, he's really doing a good job there. So it's that kind of thing in your mind where you think to yourself, is Gerrard going to come unstuck? You begin to question his credentials a little bit. But they're in a sticky period and it's going to be very interesting over the next maybe five games. Can he get them playing with a different identity and can he get them out of the little kind of rut that they're in at the moment? Yeah, because the next three games, they're home to West Ham United. West Ham have a lot to 
do to make sure that I suppose David Moyes has a lot to do to make sure that he's not thought of as the first manager to go uh, so will Steven Gerrard because then after that they have Arsenal and Manchester City so they really need to try and get something out of the, the West Ham United game before they go into those two other games I'm not so sure I don't see anything amazing about Villa and I think Steven Gerrard well, he could be under pressure anyhow. We'll see what way that goes. OK, listen, Neil, thanks very much. Um, it's great to see Manchester United off the bottom. I know you agree. And uh, <laughs> I see the two Merseyside clubs are down there themselves at the moment. So it doesn't look too great down in 16th and 17th. So we'll enjoy this week uh, for Manchester United fans. But uh, listen, there's going to be a lot of chopping and changing this year. OK, Neil, thanks very much. And thanks very much for everyone out there listening.